Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined in studio by Tim Tarpley, Vice President Governmental Affairs for PISA, Petroleum Equipment and Service Association. Before we bring on Tim, I'd like to take a few minutes just to talk to you briefly about our mixer on October 30th in the Midland Permian Basin area. It's called the Permian Basin Midstream Mixer, and it is sure to be a sold-out event. For more information, go to shellmag.com again shellmag.com and you can purchase your tickets we're still looking for sponsorships and i hope to see you there we'll have a lot of great door prizes and lots of opportunity to network mingle and mix it up also just want to tell you about the latest issue of shell magazine in which the cover is on former Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke. And boy, he is a very interesting person. I won't give away too much of his story, but I will say he is a great American. Definitely worth reading about. If you want to read all about the latest issue of Shell Magazine, I encourage you to go to shellmag.com. Again, that's shellmag.com. Now it's time for us to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. You know, we've talked a lot about oil prices changing. There's a lot going on with Saudi Arabia being attacked. Of course, the refineries. You know, this week I was asked to comment on a, a couple of issues pertaining to like, is the shell boom over and are we on like our third boom? And I just find it very interesting that there's a lot of media that is making some speculation. So I want to start off by asking you, uh, in the Houston area, we had a media source talking about the Shell Revolution that has peaked and now it's going into decline. And I wanted to ask your opinion on uh, what do you think is happening with the Shell Revolution? Or can we even call it a Shell Revolution for that matter anymore? Oh, yeah. No, we can totally call it that. I mean, my goodness, we've doubled... U.S. production in seven years, um, and yes, so so is it in decline? Well, that, that depends on how you define decline. Uh, the rate of growth this year has slowed in the Permian Basin and Eagle Ford Shell and other shell plays around the country in, in terms of the rate that the overall production in the U.S. has grown. That has slowed down very considerably. Now, does that mean that the the industry itself is is starting to go away, move away from shale to some other uh, new new source of oil and gas? No, it, it means that we've entered a, into a lower price environment over the course of this year, and companies seeing those lower prices that they're realizing for their production or they're scaling back their drilling programs. And, and so this is kind of just a natural, which comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of deal. And, and you have the, the, the egg following the chicken, basically. And, and so we've got um, a, kind of a natural progression in the industry. Now, if the price had stayed above $60 all year this year, then the rate of growth this year would have been pretty close to what it was last year. 
Uh, but but so it's it, this is a price sensitive industry. Uh, but but here's the reality: in any oil boom, whether it's the shale boom or conventional booms of the, of the last century, whatever you're talking about, eventually they do peak, and and eventually you know the production starts going down. I mean literally down, rather than growing more slowly. And so we will get to that point sometime in the next couple of years, most likely in the U.S., where where you actually get to a peak of shale production in these current formations that are being produced, and and production will begin to gradually fall. But but that's still a ways off. And uh, so I yeah I saw that article and I, I just. Um, you know, there's a lot of articles out there. Let's just say media that. hype, and you know, if it bleeds, it leads, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, it was an attractive headline that probably got a lot of clicks on the website. Of course, and that's what it's about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Georgetown. They filed a lawsuit against a solar-powered provider for one million dollars, claiming that the company had misled the city's electric utility company and the ability for them to generate energy. And it seems to me that this is a warning sign to advocates for the San Antonio proposed climate action change that, by the way, they just voted on and passed uh, about maybe yeah. an hour ago. <laughs> so, yeah. of course, this is pre-recorded, but uh, it's a done deal now by the time this, by the time we uh, air this weekend. But um, tell me a little bit about, yeah. uh, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. And obviously the city council, you know, didn't pay any attention. Um, Georgetown went to an all renewable electric plan four or five years ago now. It's, it's almost bankrupted the city. Um, their, their utility co- customers are paying well above the state average, like 50% higher uh, than the state average for their uh, electricity uh, because of this stupid uh, frankly, uh, effort that the city council forced on them several years ago. And, and here they are now suing the solar utility, not being able to deliver what it promised under their agreement is a prime reason for that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is not an exception to the rule. This is what we see happening all over the country, uh, where solar and wind providers, you know, uh, enter into these grand deals with these cities uh, and, and make a lot of promises they can't keep. And so, you know, you end up with the people um, having to foot the bill, and it, it impacts, unfortunately, it impacts uh, the poorest among us most of all, uh, yep. who, who literally can't afford a 10 or $20 a month increase in their utility bill. Uh, so it, it's just a sad tale. Um, it's it's a not an unprecedented situation at all. In fact, it's pretty common, and it's just ridiculous that the San Antonio City Council is going to now take uh, the people of San Antonio down the exact same path. Well, I really didn't have a lot of hope uh, in the people who were elected uh, this time around. So unfortunately, um, I know it wasn't me who voted for them, but that's just you know my opinion. Let's uh, talk about Kinder Morgan starting the construction on its uh, Permian Highway pipeline. We've interviewed them in the past here on the show, which will bring Permian Basin natural gas, this pipeline, to market on the Texas Gulf Coast. So yep. the pipeline route that we interviewed when we interviewed them on the show was going to take it through the Texas Hill Country 
And of course, it was opposed by some of the residents there. And I thought I read a report that they're like 85% already through their right-of-ways for the majority of this pipeline. So how do you think this is going to play out? Like I thought a judge in East Texas had thrown out the whole lawsuit and Kinder Morgan was going to sail through process. I mean, I I think certainly they they have the legal authority to to move ahead with the pipeline. You know, I suspect you'll see... Uh, when the construction of the line, you know, gets into the counties who, you know, had uh, parts of the population opposed to it, you'll probably see uh, some professional agitators go into those counties and mount some protests um, uh, while the work is going on. Hopefully it won't be anything as disruptive as what we saw up in North Dakota a few years ago. But uh, you can count on that. That's a favorite tactic of, of the anti-development groups. And, and so I think we'll probably see some of that. But you know, the reality is that Kinder Morgan will be able to build this pipeline very quickly, and, and it's badly needed uh, to get the natural gas out of the Permian Basin to the Gulf Coast where all the processing and, and export uh, can take place. So, you know, it's the safest way to transport natural gas, and we have to have pipelines, and this is going to be a, a very modern, very high technology and very safe pipeline. So I'm glad to see it uh, moving ahead. The one thing that I didn't quite understand is as you're, you know, going through the Texas Hill Country and you see these signs that are like protect our scenery. And if you like what you see, be opposed yeah. to the pipeline because it's going to change our look. And I kind of thought, man, this is so misrepresented because these pipelines are underground and it's the safest way of moving these commodities that we absolutely must have that's just the the kind of tactics that the the opposition uses and unfortunately most of our news media will not uh, report accurate information on those kinds of claims yeah so they they get away with it with pretty much impunity and and that's just kind of where we are in our society right now so i give (laughs) the main questions we had today a bunch of uh, thumbs down with the the speculation that uh, the uh, shell revolution is over, or you know, shell is is, is on its way out, that uh, the solar power companies are definitely going to be a great solution for us for the future. And I also give a thumbs down <laughs> to <laughs> the people who are talking about that pipelines are really bad for for our scenery when um, they don't understand they're underground. So. You know what, though? Without all of this stuff out there, David, this chatter, I don't think you and I would have a job. So our job is to go out there and talk about all the misinformation that's being peddled out there in different ways and, <laughs> and kind of spin the, the real truth. Now, come to the, come to In the Wool Patch and you'll get the real skinny on exactly. everything oil and gas. And as usual, we always welcome questions from the community. So, if, you know, somebody wants to write in and ask you a question. Uh, we'll cover it on the show. They can just go to radio at shellmag.com. Again, that's radio at shellmag.com. David, that's all the time we have for this week. I look forward to having you back on next week. And oh, by the way, before we leave, uh, you guys just dropped a cover at Shell Magazine. Who's on the cover? Secretary Ryan Zinke, former Interior Secretary. Uh, it's a great piece about him and his, his time in office. And uh, my goodness, this man has had one of the most incredible uh, incredibly accomplished lives of service to this country of anyone I've ever met. So it, it, it's really uh, an interesting piece that I know everyone will enjoy reading. Very good. I know I did. I, I And I did not realize either what a hero he has been in, in all the years of uh, providing, you know, public service 
or his commitment into public service. And then, of course, him being a, a special forces right. uh, guy, too. Yeah. yeah, yes. I mean, he's just all around, you know, tough guy, <laughs> bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, if our listeners want to go to Shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, you can read all about uh, former Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke. David, until next week, thank you. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We are being joined in studio with Tim Tarpley, who is the Vice President of Governmental Affairs for PISA. Tim, welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thanks for having me again. You know, you have joined PISA, what, about a year and a half ago? We, we got you on the show. Maybe it was a year ago. A little um, over a year little over a year ago and we have seen some dramatic changes and i wanted to invite you to come back on the show to talk a little bit about how pisa is really so diverse now and of course it's grown immensely it's been growing with leslie's leadership and now of course you coming on your leadership in in all different ways and i wanted to cover that today on the show but before we get started tell me a little bit about yourself uh, you have a very interesting background or to me you do and it makes perfect sense what you do now for PISA, but tell me about how you came to PISA, a little bit about yourself as well. Sure. Well, I'm, a, I'm an attorney by trade. Um, I'm born and raised in, here in Houston. Uh, I went up to D.C. To, to get my law degree at American University. Shortly after getting that degree, I started working up on Capitol Hill. Worked for Mac Thornberry for a little over three years. He represents uh, the north part of the state, Amarillo, Wichita Falls area. And then after doing that for about three and a half years, I had the opportunity to come, to, if it's in my view, to go home and work for Congressman Poe, who uh, the recently retired Congressman Poe, the, he had an opening for his le- uh, legislative director position in his office. And that was my home district. I'm from Kingwood uh, on the north side of town. And that's part of the area that he represents. And so I was able to move over, become his legislative director, stayed with him for almost a decade. Uh, ended up as his chief of staff before he retired. Um, he retired uh, just about eight months ago um, at the end of the uh, last congressional uh, session, and he came home to spend some more time with his grandkids. So I, uh, it was time for me to get home as well. I had been in D.C. DC too long, so uh, this opportunity at PISA opened up uh, just kind of at the right time, and uh, you know, I, was, I was lucky to get in touch with Leslie, and we started uh, discussing the possibility, and then I, I moved back home. And I've been back for a little over a year and really enjoying uh, working. Uh, I kind of always worked on energy issues uh, up on the Hill. Obviously, Congressman Poe represents um, a lot of folks in the energy industry. So I always worked energy issues, but it has been great to really focus um, you know, most of my time on, on those issues. 
uh, with Pisa. Um, so I've got to learn a lot. And, and the thing I've really enjoyed is being able to go out and meet the men and women that work in, in our sector. Uh, that's certainly the most uh, favorite part of, of this job is really meeting those folks and being an advocate for them and for uh, the benefits they bring to our communities. You know, I, I guess my curiosity with elected officials or chief of staff or attorneys who turn into working in D.C., versus maybe going into private practice or something. Is it a calling? Is it something that you just kind of fell into? And especially right now with the political climate just being so, you know, polar, all candidates are polarizing right now. Do you find that this was something that was just your calling or did you just kind of fall into it being in politics and, and do you still enjoy it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think um can't speak for everybody that gets into politics and in and, and public service, but uh, I certainly, for myself and, and a lot of the folks I, I knew, it truly is a, kind of a calling, something you, you, you really want to do. You know, I personally, I love, uh, I love this part of the, of the world. I love Houston. I love the state of Texas. So the, the uh, ability for me to go and, and advocate for those individuals to try to pass legislation that benefits those individuals um, was, was truly a, a dream come true. And I, I enjoyed every day of it. And working, you know, now in the private sector, advocating for the oil and gas industry is is also a dream come true because I really do believe in this industry. I believe in what this industry does for not only the United States but for the world uh, by bringing affordable energy um, to help to help light the world world and power the world. So I tr- I truly do enjoy that. So for me, it's always been uh, I've followed things that I care about. And I know that if I wasn't doing something that I didn't care about, I wouldn't be you know, really any good at it. Um, so I pick I pick things that that I care about, and then I, I feel like I, I can I can benefit. Uh, think you know uh, where I grew up, the Houston area, the energy industry. These are things that I, I care very deeply about. So it's been a blessing for me to to follow a career path that has allowed me to do that. You know, I think that part of the show's uh, likability is the fact that we do tend to have a lot of elected officials and discuss the importance of energy, especially here in Texas. And a lot of people really don't connect. How does oil and gas benefit their lives? But they know in some ways, without oil and gas, this state would be, an, you know, a wreck, a mess. And, and it's true. So to have individuals who are willing to go to D.C. and try to communicate how important oil and gas is, not just to Texas, but to the United States as well, for many reasons. One, most importantly to me, is it's a matter of national security as well. That being said, it's good to see that there are individuals that support oil and gas and support the ability to want to communicate that to elected officials and, and pass or try to pass favorable policy that makes it a better climate for oil and gas, who's very regulated, right, by the way, to help ensure that they continue to be prosperous. One of the things that we didn't cover was PISA and what it stands for, the Petroleum Association and Service Association. So you guys are handling the big service companies, and some of the names are like Halliburton, uh, Schlumberger, Baker, Hughes, Weatherford, those type of uh, service companies. But you have a lot, and they're no and Cameron. So there's quite a few different associations that you guys cover, advocate. When we get back from break, I want to talk a little bit about the programs as well, but we are going to also talk about what's happening today in the oil and gas industry with like China and stuff like that. So don't want our listeners to go away. We are going to take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show and we'll be right back. 
Join us Saturday, October 19th at Sam Houston Park for the 9th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free family STEM festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and a whole lot of fun. Enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, math, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free and is brought to you by BHP, Golden Pass LNG, the Consumer Energy Education Foundation, and Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. Our guest today is Tim Tarpley, the Vice President of Governmental Affairs for PISA, Petroleum Equipment and Service Association, better known as PISA. Tim, before the break, we got to know you a little bit better, and now I want to take a moment to get to know PISA a little bit better. You've been on the show before, but PISA's grown immensely in the last three to five years that I've been involved with the organization and also with your new role. So let's talk a little bit about some of the programs, to just name a few, are PISA has an Explorers of Houston Award. They have an executive leadership program. You guys offer a class called Oil and Gas 101. There's an executive address series, Energy Education. I know you guys are launching something about diversity and inclusion with women. And then, of course, there is a lot of what you're handling your role in um, looking at and maybe advocacy for policy making and, and talking to elected officials. So tell me a little bit about the overview of PISA, because that's a lot. You guys are accomplishing a lot in a year. I'll, I'll start with the basics. There's probably too much to talk about even in this in this small segment. But but PISA started uh, over 80 years ago, actually, as a standards organization. It was it was uh, put together to help work with the government as as the government was starting to regulate you know our industry. And so it was created for that for that reason. It grew into a networking organization and it stayed that way uh, for quite a while. Um, just about five years ago, Leslie took over uh, at PISA and she really said, hey, w- what we're doing is great, but we can do more. There's more that we can do. And the, and the board of directors charged her w- with that. And she's done an excellent job really expanding what PISA does beyond just a networking organization. Networking is obviously an important part of any trade organization. But Leslie has expanded our educational offerings. For example, um, just two weeks ago, and this is something that PISA does twice a year, um, PISA has a contract with the State Department to train foreign service officers. Before they get their deployment to an oil-intensive country, PISA brings them down to Houston and does a, a two-week training program with these FSOs. Uh, takes them around to companies you know, like Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, Halliburton, shows them their facilities, has, gives them the opportunity to meet the men and women that work in the, in the energy industry. But also, and the most important thing that they get, that we think that they get out of this program, is we teach them actually what the oil and gas industry does. We teach them what fracking is. 
um, you know, how, how an offshore platform operates, the nut, the nut, nut and bolts of the industry. And these, these folks, these FSO um, officers are going abroad and they're going to be in places like Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, where U.S. oil and gas uh, professionals are working and every day are working. And there's going to be issues that come up with those individuals that these FSO officers are going to have to deal with. So it, it's very important that they get this background and training before they go to those, uh, those deployments. Also very important is what one thing we've noticed over the years with, with this training is sometimes some of the FSOs have negative preconceived notions of what the industry is. They don't quite know, understand what fracking is. Uh, you know, they see it as um, a negative. And after we really sit them down, and it's, it's not a, we're not trying to convince them of anything. We just want to provide them the facts. After we sit them down and show them exactly what the process is, you know, we, we, we hope and, we, and we, we know that they then have a more balanced view of the industry and what they're, what they're doing. And that's really important when these folks are going to be the face uh, for our country and for our industry abroad. Well, very interesting because I'm assuming that you guys have probably thought that, gee, if it'll work for for that, maybe we should overlap it with maybe some elected officials that get newly elected and really don't have an understanding but are expected to make policy changes pertaining to this. And, and furthermore, when we go into a big picture, look, there's probably a lot of Americans that also really, it's so hard to find credible information on what fracking is, uh, how does it benefit their lives, and, and some of of the takeaway, some of the positives, and allow individuals to come up with their own conclusions if this is a good thing or a bad thing. So that's something that if you guys ever decide you might want to take it to a bigger picture, please look to uh, Shell Magazine. I'm sure they would be interested. I do want to switch gears a little bit. Thank you for getting us up to speed on what PISA has been doing. You guys are doing a great job for the energy industry. There's a lot going on right now, um, a lot going on in D.C., a lot going on globally. And one of the areas that certainly is very, very much on everyone's mind is this trade war between uh, United States and China. I guess everyone has an opinion this is good or bad, but we know that somewhere in the middle is the oil and gas industry kind of stuck in the middle. And so give me your thoughts on uh, what is the current status of the trade war with China and the United States? It's on the top of uh, the minds of many of our companies. Our companies, like like we talked about earlier, we represent 200 companies. Uh, most of those have, have international operations, meaning they're selling uh, abroad, but they also have their supply chain uh, coming, coming from all over the world. So trade, free trade, it's really, really important. What has happened now is, is you know, there are very legitimate concerns with the way China has been behaving, you know, really for the past 30 years. They steal our intellectual property. They uh, forced, forced technology transfers. If your company wants to go into China, they say you have to give us technology in order to, in order, and you have to form a 50-50 partnership with a, with a local Chinese company. So there are very legitimate uh, beefs with the way China has has behaved over the over the past thirty or, or some some more years. The way that this administration, that the president had, has has decided to try to push back on them is through the use of tariffs, and it's it's at that point where where, where opinions tend to diverge. Um, is 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 whether or not tariffs are the best way to push back at China. And Everybody has noticed that it's been a tit for tat. Right. When we get back from break, I want us to drill down into what are the expectations that that we can see, or what you think we, the oil and gas industry is going to see, and the service companies specifically, because they're usually the hardest hit by tariffs. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And we're back.
back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest in studio today is Tim Tarpley, Vice President of Governmental Affairs for PISA, Petroleum Equipment and Service Association. Tim, before the break, we were talking about the trade war between the United States and China, and is it affecting the oil and gas sector? And obviously it is to some degree. Let's get a little bit more into detail of who's going to be the hardest hit and what do you see occurring in the oil and gas industry as a result? Sure. So there's two big concerns for our sector and for the oil and gas industry as a whole um, as this trade war continues to escalate. The first um, issue is specifically probably the most affecting for for companies that produce and manufacture oil field equipment here in the United States. Um, the example I always like to give is, um, you know, a blowout preventer, a very high technology piece of equipment that is produced here in a lot of times here in Houston or, or in, in southern Louisiana. Uh, there may be parts of that device that are very small parts, very cheap parts that are brought in from China or other, other places around the world. Uh, when you raise the cost of those, fee, I, I call it feedstock, you know, those, those pieces that go into the larger, the larger piece of equipment, uh, it's going to raise the cost of the, of the, of the, of the large piece of equipment, of, of the blowout preventer, for example. And when you do that, the, the kind of unintended consequence is, is then the final cost of that product is higher, and our competitors in Korea and Germany and in France and all around the world who don't have to pay those tariffs on those feedstock parts that go into the larger part, their product is then more, um, it's more attractive compared to ours. And so that's the, kind of the, the, the opposite of what we're trying to do with these tariffs. That's the one, that's the one concern. The, the second concern with tariffs is that when you have a trade war, um, trade wars escalate. There's, there's, it's, it's a cold war, you know. It's, it's very similar to the, to the situation with the Soviet Union. We just kept building, building, building up, and there was never really an end in sight until finally things, things fell apart. That's what's going on with, with this, this trade war. Um, we add tariffs. China responds in kind with other tariffs, and it just keeps going, and there's no end in sight. The, uh, the Chinese have appeared to gotten to the point where they are going to wait out this administration, um, you know, and so – the, a short ending uh, uh, is looking less and less likely. Another big concern is that they're responding. China was a huge is a huge market for uh, crude oil exports and LNG exports. China is pushing back on on U.S. imports. China has imposed a five percent tariff on U.S. crude oil, and also they're they're limiting uh, our LNG exports. In fact, in, in 2019, only one vessel carrying U.S. LNG uh, went to China. Before it was uh, was much higher than that, and it's a huge market. Um, China has a, a tremendous appetite for um, power production, and LNG is one way to produce power. In addition to coal, they they use they use quite a bit of coal over there, but they're trying to diversify. Uh, so there's a huge market over there for U.S. LNG, and that market is now pretty much shut down. Um, and that's 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 a negative for our sector because you know we we have certainly um, quite quite a bit of crude oil and quite a bit of LNG that we want to export, and China was one place that that could go, and it's a way to to balance our trade deficit with with China. So those are kind of the three big concerns that for, for our sector and for the oil and gas industry as a whole for the trade war. Well, I mean, and I guess on looking over what's happened in the past, moving forward, I think we can all understand what President Trump is trying to do or has been trying to do. And they're, you know, we deal with them now and incur the pain or you know, later, it, it's not, we're not able to deal with it anymore. And it's unfortunate that the oil and gas sector is one, is one of the main sectors that's going to pay the price for this. At the same time, this is something that I think 
the American people really see and want. If we're going to continue to go for the tit for tat, unintended consequence for what's happening right now, what do you see happening in the oil industry? If they're going to wait out this administration, what is your thought on how and when does this end and in what way does it end? And then also, we also have NAFTA and the USMCA. What are the potential impacts on passage of that as well? Because of the fact that this is continuing to to drag on. So first things first, what do you think the real true situation will be for the oil and gas sector and, and the service companies if this continues to drag on until this, you know, until the 2020 election? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and uh, you know, if you ask 20 different people following this about how exactly would it would, it would end, you'd probably get 20 different answers. Right. It's uh, all crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just t- tell you my opinion. I mean, so, somebody's going to. Um, somebody's there's cracks are going to start to form. Uh, it's you know hopefully that will be on the on the Chinese side, and they will they will give us concessions, and they will they will sign a fair trade agreement with with us uh, that will protect our intellectual intellectual property, etc. You know that's that's the hope. That's and that's certainly the administration's goal. Um, however, it's more of uh, as it is with any war, uh, it's just who can 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 extract the most pain on the other side before that side breaks. We're on our side, where you're starting to see cracks is in the farm states um, because farmers, China was probably the number one foreign market for U.S. ag before this all started. And what the, what the administration has been doing is, is making direct payments to farmers. Right. Uh, you know, that can only go on so long. Uh, so cracks are starting to form there. You know, for the oil and gas industry, you know, we uh, we don't have obviously the luxury of, of having those kind of payments to make up uh, trade differences like like the farmers do. You know, our industry has just had to um, had had to take that. Uh, so so we're, we're, our sectors are left with really two choices. One, you move your supply chain out of China, which is expensive and which is not always possible. Um, you know, some some of this very uh, specific and high tech equipment it takes years to move that supply chain. Um, you know, and, and we could probably argue here today whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, if we do move our supply chains to to Mexico, I mean, ho, ho, you know, ideally you could move some of that back to the United States. That's not always possible. And um, and as I discussed earlier, sometimes it's better that we have the high tech manufacturing, the big products here. Um, you know, little little widgets built uh, abroad. Maybe that's not as important. Um, you know, and that, that depends depends who you talk to on that. There's obviously two views uh, on on that on that analysis, but. Um, so for our sector, really, it, 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 unfortunately, it, right now, it's sit back and wait uh, and see how this plays out. The, the biggest problem we're facing is we're coming into an election season. Uh, and, and, you know, with things like USMCA and, and this trade war, once we get about three or four months uh, from now, there's not going to be any movement because both sides are going are gonna to wait out the election. Um, and so that's, that's really unfortunate is that if we don't get something in the next uh, two or three months, we might not get something for a year and a half. So are there any companies that you're looking out for that might be a little bit more vulnerable than others if they're going to have to wait it out? I mean, I know we expect some, you know, M&As to be happening out there as a result of just a lot of movement all over. But we're going to see mergers. We're going to see acquisitions. Are there any companies that you kind of feel in the service industry or even operators that are going to be really vulnerable if this does not come to a, a head pretty quickly? Sure. I mean, uh, you certainly don't don't you know don't want to mention any, any particular companies. But I, I think companies that that operate internationally and manufacture oil field equipment, you know, that have had their supply chains disrupted and that are are paying these tariffs, those companies uh, are going to start feeling that pain here. Uh, in the next couple of months. So far, it, it, it's, um, you know, the tariffs have kind of gone on to effect on the sliding scale and the companies are just now starting to see those the, the, those new costs um, added to their balance balance sheet. So we'll start seeing the pain here in the next couple of months. The other thing that's happened is, is, um, is you know, and I know our, our, our listeners know this, is 
is the competition in the in the service sector and the equipment sector right now is very very intense. Um, you know, so there's not a lot of room for for margins. If you add, um, you, you know, you, it's it's not possible to pass on those costs to your customers because it's such a competitive segment of the uh, sector right now. So that it's kind of um, you're getting hit with a with with, with a kind of a slowdown in a tough part of the sector, and then you also you have these tariffs. So it's kind of two two things going on at once. So I do think the pain is gonna is gonna start increasing here uh, in in the next couple of months, and it's really important that and and the hope is is that there is a um, some sort of agreement here in October. Both the, both the Chinese and and the U.S. side are going to meet in October, and and the hope is that they get something done then. Because if if you don't get something done then. I fear that this could drag out, uh, you know, through the, ele- the next election. Well, Tim, when we get back from break, I want to get back on the topic of U.S. energy exports. But we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200-kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Join us Saturday, October 19th at Sam Houston Park for the 9th Annual Energy Day, one of Houston's largest free family STEM festivals. Energy Day has music, food, games, and fun. You can also enjoy over 60 interactive exhibits showcasing science, technology, engineering, math, energy, and careers. Don't miss out on the fun. Admission is free and is sponsored by Chevron, Technip FMC, the Consumer Energy Education Foundation, and the Consumer Energy Alliance. For more information, visit energydayfestival.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest in studio today is Tim Tarpley, Vice President of Governmental Affairs for PISA, Petroleum Equipment and Service Association. Tim, I want to get back on the topic. You've talked a lot about what the implications are if this trade tariff war continues on, how it's going to affect the oil and gas industry. But you were talking a little bit about exporting earlier LNG. So let's get back on that topic because it's important. The U.S. energy exports, how is that going to continue to affect the uh, energy sector as well. I think I think there's probably not an issue that is is more important to to our sector than uh, the ability to export crude and and LNG. Um, you know, up until 2015, uh, we were not permitted to export crude, and in, in most in most instances, there were a few exceptions um, out, out of the United States. Um, that had been in place since I I believe the late 70s during the uh, during the uh, Iran Revolution. Um, Getting rid of that of that ban, which was was actually done uh, both in Congress and 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 through the prior administration, um, really opened up the Permian, and I think you know brought brought us markets uh, abroad. It's a really important thing for jobs here in the United States, um, but also it's a real big geopolitical thing to have U.S. crude and U.S. LNG as an option for our allies abroad. Um, it's very important that our allies like Japan. And Taiwan have the ability to access U.S. LNG. That is an, as a national security issue for them and for us. Um, and then you look at places like Eastern Europe. Russia 
has a stranglehold on Eastern Europe because they are their essentially their sole source of LNG, which uh, which I mean natural gas, which provides them heating and 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 powers a lot of their power plants. By, by allowing U.S. LNG to, to be shipped into Eastern Europe, that allows those countries to have p- more political freedom and be able to operate without having to check in with, with, uh, with Russia um, and, and to make decisions on their, on their own. That, that is really important for uh, the U.S. abroad. So it, it's kind of a win-win. Number one, it helps support jobs here in the United States. It helps support jobs in the Permian and, and the rest of the fields around the country. Uh, but also it helps the United States – support our allies around the world and uh and, and help remove um other countries dominance over many 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 of the of our allies in the areas of the world that are um that, that need that kind of um support well let's hope that uh china and the united states gets back to the negotiating table here sometime soon let's switch gears a little bit and talk about pisa you guys are opening up new chapters your latest one new one is in argentina uh, so I might be applying to to go and uh, do a on site visit over there at that chapter in Argentina. <laughs> but tell me a little bit about that chapter and and how PISA is working on opening up new markets. Of course, continue to support the service company area, service sure. and equipment area. Um, our goal with our international chapters is is, is 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 quite simple. It's it's to provide support and opportunities for our member companies anywhere around the world where there is oil and gas development or there's the potential for oil and gas development. We started a chapter in the Middle East. Obviously, there's there's a huge oil and gas market in the Middle East. We based that out of Dubai. That's been operating for about three years. It's been very successful. Our member companies came to us and said, you know, we think the next uh, place for, for big opportunities is going to be Argentina. The Vaca Merte field in, in, in Argentina is only 4% developed right now. It's huge, huge opportunities down there. And I think it's really interesting uh, to our sector is it's unconventional. So it's, um, you know, it, it's being developed mainly through fracking. It had been developed conventionally years ago, but but the, the real success has been through um, through the use of fracking. So our companies um, have the expertise. You know, they have, they have obviously done that in the Permian very successfully. They've created technologies that have allowed this to occur. Um, so they have the ability to take what they've learned, the technology and the equipment, and, and, and use it down in Argentina. The problem there, you know, there, there are quite a bit of problems with Argentina. Obviously, it's very far away. It's kind of the, the Vaca Muerta field is in southern Argentina down by Patagonia. Uh, a lot of infrastructure issues, um, to, you know, getting equipment down that far. But um, once you get past the issues, uh, there certainly is a lot of opportunity there. And that's, that's what PISA is doing, right? It's helping our companies access that opportunity. So on uh, September 24th, um, we are going to have a kickoff the, the ambassador um, the U.S. ambassador to Argentina is hosting an event for us at his at his residence to bring together uh, U.S. companies that are interested in entering the market, as well as the companies that are already already in the market, uh, to meet with with Argentinian officials and to try to work through um, work through the process of expanding what what they're doing there in in country. So that event, we're really excited about that. But we're also really excited about you know having another area where we we can really support our companies um, and 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 provide them opportunities to expand their business. One thing is for sure, there's a lot of great trade associations and organizations out there. PISA is definitely one of them that's focusing on, of course, the service companies and the equipment because there's just a lot of always discussion on the exploration companies and some of the major service companies 
But as a whole, this whole industry needs assistance and needs help with how do they get the word out. And of course, networking is important and bringing these companies together for the greater good. And it's interesting to see how much you guys have spread. You had before a couple of years ago, you didn't have an office or a representation in Permian Basin. And I see you guys out there as well. Mm-hmm. You have Houston. So it's good to see that you guys are growing in the sense of putting really great programs on for of course, new members to want to join and engage, but also membership retention. Because at the end of the day, I think companies want to join great organizations that they see a great value in. And of course, some of it is networking, but some of it also is fulfillment that they're engaging in their day-to-day work and fulfilling their employees of being engaged in their jobs as well. So it's a a really cool thing to see you guys engaged out in the community. I want to thank you for for coming in today and being a guest with us. And I look forward to hopefully having you back after October. And let's see where we land with the, the trade talks and just kind of catching up with PISA and, of course, your, your, your opening of your chapter in Argentina. For more information, where can someone go to learn about PISA and, of course, joining the organization? <laughs> www.pisa.org. You can get all information about what, what we're doing um, there. Um, also, feel free to email me directly, uh, T-A-R-P-L-E-Y at PISA.org. You can, e- uh, you can email me there at any point. I'm happy to uh, direct you in the right, right direction. Well, Tim, once again, thank you for coming in and being a guest today. We always enjoy catching up with what the great work PISA is doing. You and Leslie are doing a great job, and, of course, your entire team. That's all the time we have for this show. Thank you for joining us in studio, and uh, we'll see you back here in In the Oil Patch radio show in a couple of months. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.